0: Hello and welcome to Nickcast with me, Marie Urshard. Well, first of all, I want to apologise for the delay in between this edition and the anniversary one. I juggle Nick with my day job and, well, recently everything got a little hectic, so I had to take a quick break. But thank you so much for the supportive emails that I received following the anniversary edition. I'm really pleased that so many people are enjoying the show. And thanks also to those who sent donations. Those were very unexpected and much appreciated. Incidentally, I was chatting to Brenda Dane of Cast On today and I found out that, well, Brenda has some guest hosts to cover the show for while she's away. So I'm putting out the call now. If anyone's interested in looking after the show on the odd occasion that I have to take a break, email me. You can reach me by emailing feedback at com. Now, you will, of course, have to be au okay fait with recording a podcast since I would be taking a break. Well, let's get back to the show. My special guest for this edition is Anne Budd, former editor of Interweave Knits magazine. She's also written The Knitter's Handy Book of Patterns and is currently senior editor of Knit Scene magazine. I spoke to Anne late last year and asked her to tell me a little bit more about Knit Scene. Knit Scene started out
1: as just a way to give us another publication and maybe draw a different um, clientele, different readership than we normally had. Uh, it is a, like a consortium, three advertisers plus interweave, and all the yarns are used by either T- Stacy, Charles Munch or Classic Elite. And we tried to make it a little more and fresh and maybe even a little younger typical Knits audience.
0: The patterns for some of the projects featured in Knit Scene are available on the on the Knit Scene website rather than in the magazine itself. And what was the thinking behind that?
1: Well that happened because we had so many projects we had, and we thought the readers would rather get the extra projects, even if it meant they had to go to the website to get instructions than to just not include those projects. So the magazine, I believe, has 44 projects altogether, and about a dozen of them are on the website. That's just so that there's even more projects for the reader.
0: Is there a particular pattern in it, scene that you like above any of the others? Or, or do you try not to have favouritism? Oh, there's
1: one by Nora Gahn that I actually hope to make myself. Um, it
0: is, let's see, it's on page 21. It is called the Posh Cardigan. And what is it exactly that you like in particular about that cardigan?
1: Uh, it has a wonderful drape. And the open, I mean, the front of it doesn't have any buttons or clasps. It just has a nice old edge, and it looks like it just hangs beautifully on the body. So, how
0: often is Nitzing going to be published?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, it's still in the experimental stages. We don't, we know for sure there will be a spring issue in 2006, but we're not. Point yet
0: where we're committed to making it biannual. You're on the editorial staff of Interweave Nets. How did you get to work for Interweave? Uh,
1: my background is in the sciences. I have a master's degree in geology, but some time ago I decided that wasn't what I really wanted to do, and so I quit being a geologist got lucky enough to land a job at Hennerly, the editorial assistant for Handful magazine.
0: I'm a huge fan of the grand plan patterns that you introduced while you were editor. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with them. Could you explain how they work? Well,
1: they're based on... I mean, it's not... I uh, remember way back years ago, I worked in a knitting shop. There were some leaflets. The whole idea came about in just trying to make the most versatile pattern possible. Uh, The first one we did was the grand plan mitten chart, and that's where we came up with the instructions for, I think it was four or five different types of yarn for about four or five different sizes. And that went so well, I went on to do it for socks and hats. And eventually it became a book.
0: How did the Grand Plan patterns begin? They began
1: with a mitten pattern uh, that was to give various sizes and various gauges. But the whole idea went back to um, a pattern I once saw in a knitting store in the 1980s that was for a sweater that had various sizes and various gauges. That was brilliantly people a lot of variation in their knitting and give them a basic pattern that then allowed them to do what they wanted in terms of yarn and even adding decorations.
0: Now the grand plan patterns have, as you said, be uh, become a book. Um, the first book, which was the Knitter's Handy Book of Patterns, were you expecting them to be so successful?
1: Uh, No, but I'm glad it was. Um, I was very surprised at how successful it was, but in retrospect, it makes sense that it does allow people, um, particularly kind of timid and new knitters, to take a basic pattern and just make small alterations of their own to make it their own. And they can use whatever yarn and make it whatever size they want
0: incredibly versatile yes and, and the knitter's handy book of patterns has got patterns for everything from uh, gloves mittens socks scarves sweaters etc but you also did a special book of uh, sweater patterns called the knitter's handy book of sweater patterns what's the difference between that and the, uh, the the original book well
1: the first book really did small projects, and I ended the book with a sweater that had a set-in sleeve. And it was about a few months after that first book came out that I was sitting knitting, and it suddenly came to me that would like to have all different types of sweater constructions, and that was really the idea for the book came to me, was to do sweaters that had drop shoulder, modified drop shoulder set-in sleeves, rag, circular note, saddle shoulder. And so it's basically six types of sweater constructions, pullover or cardigan, that each um, give you the option of making it from a child's size, I think it's three or four years old, up to a man's large, and in
0: about six different gauges of yarn. Is it difficult to create a grand plan pattern, and is there a grand plan pattern for everything?
1: I would say it's not that difficult. I start off by drawing a schematic to scale and then just use math to figure out uh, what the gauge is and how many stitches you need at every critical point of that schematic to create that garment. Uh, The most recent planned project I did was tapelets, which are both in, uh, let's see, from the bottom up. tapelet instructions are in the Spring 05 issue of Interweave Knits magazine, and instructions from the top down are in the book Wrap Style, which came out from Interweave this summer. Um, I think there's not a whole lot to be Land, but somebody could prove me wrong.
0: Now you've mentioned wrap uh, style, which is a book that uh, you co-edited with Pam Allen. This features patterns for all sorts of cover-ups, including shawls, caplets, and wraps. Could you tell us more about the differences between uh, in these types of garments?
1: Yes, uh, we consider all to be basically a wrap or triangular shape that just around the shoulder. Basically, it's a large scarf uh, that moves to a stole. We consider a t- long, wide scarf that is usually worn across the shoulders. But unlike a shawl or scarf, it's never put over the head. Um, and also, stole typically refers to ecclesiastical as well. Um, if you take the long rectangular piece and sew ends, the two short ends together to form sleeves, then you've got what's called a shrug. Um, if you take a wide shawl or a line and cut a hole in the center of it for your head, you've got what we think of a poncho scrapes over the shoulders and covers the upper body. If you cut a poncho open in the front and adjust the shaping so that it fits a little closer around the neck than at the lower body, it becomes a cape. Um, and we then called it a capelet if it fell, if it only went as far as the elbows. So basically, a cape would be long and a capelet
0: is short. So when did you first learn to knit? I learned to knit um, in when my mother was on
1: sabbatical and took the family to live in Switzerland for a year. I was in sixth grade and got put in the local school, which, at that time, which was quite a while ago. The girls and boys were separated week for gender-specific lessons. While the girls learned to knit and crochet, clean house, the boys learned technical drawing and shop. So, it was, it made a big impression on me at the time because I was sitting in this classroom where I couldn't understand anything that was going on because it was taught in German, but I could understand how to knit, so I could watch the teacher and I could do it, and I think during that year that was the only thing I was successful at.
0: So what is it about knitting that you like so much, that you enjoy so much?
1: Enjoy the meditative and just the quiet process of it I like to just sit and have the yarn flow through my fingers you know um, for me it's actually the process more than the product and I end up giving away most
0: everything I make now you have three sons all of whom you've taught to knit now you explained that when you learn to knit um it was seen as a a gender specific type of uh, craft. Why did you feel it was so important to teach your sons to knit?
1: Actually, I didn't think it was important to teach them and it wouldn't have occurred to me to teach them, but they came and asked me to teach them. I remember one of them making the comment shortly after the Knitter's Handy Book of Patterns came, he book, he should learn how to do it. So, of course, being a good mother, I taught them all.
0: Now, you've already said that uh, for you, knitting is more about the process than the product. But what do you like to knit for fun? Or is all knitting fun, as far as you're concerned?
1: Most all knitting for me is fun. But when it's knitting that I'm just doing for myself, that's not for one of our magazines or one of our books... Uh, Most typically, I will knit a pair of socks. Um, I have become quite a snob about hand-knitted socks, and in the winter now, I will only wear hand-knitted
0: socks. You're also a weaver as well. Uh, Do you have any preference between uh, knitting and weaving? Oh gosh,
1: I gave up weaving um, when my first son was born because it took too much time. For me to warp the room was a four hour process that I really couldn't be interrupted during, and that's just practical with children. And that's part of what I love about knitting is I can pick it up at any time, and I can take it with me when we go in the car, when we go on the plane, and it's just like always a part of me.
0: Now you actually became a master knitter in the year 2000. How did that come about?
1: And that happened because I had never really taken
0: an an
1: official knitting class. I learned in Switzerland, and then I pretty much just knit a lot of things and learned by myself as I went along. And after working here at Interweave and working on Interweave Knits Magazine, I felt that it was important for me to know what was important for other people. So I signed up for the Master Knitter Certificate, and um, went through it all, and a lot of it I knew, but then I learned some little techniques, and just it helped me to know what was important to who, you know, the people who taught knitting, what they thought was important to know.
0: So, what's next for you? What's coming up in the future?
1: Well um i'm going to move over and do more editing of books for here at inner Beef. uh i don't believe i'll be limited just to knitting books looking on weaving books and beading books and spinning books and their titles that we did, which for me will be kind of kind of stretch out into some new things some more books um i very much enjoy working on wrap stuff with pam allen And we're currently kicking around some ideas for some future books, but none of them have been slated yet.
0: Anne Bud. And I'm sorry for the sound quality of that interview. It was done using Skype, and while some Skype interviews can sound crystal clear, occasionally you get some problems with it. But I hope you enjoyed the interview anyway, despite that. Some listeners have asked where they can find older editions of NickCast. Well, they're all available at NickCast.com. Just look on the right-hand side of the page and you'll see a section called Archives. Now, although that only seems to display the past 11 months... All of the blog entries right back to the first edition on February 15th, 2005 are there. Just keep going back and you'll find them and you'll be able to save them to your computer manually and listen to those, burn them to CDs, whatever. Well, the next Nickcast will be online around the 27th of March as I'm going to Toronto for a holiday. And of course, I'll be taking my recording equipment with me. So keep listening to find out what comes out of that trip. Until then, I'm Marie O'Shard and that was Nick Cast. Thanks for listening.